so good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. I know that some of you have been looking at that little tag that's been scattered abroad on some of the seats, and you're wondering, should I wear it or tear it? Because you don't know where I'm going with this. And I usually don't have little teaching aids, but I'll reveal to you the purpose of that as we go. And I'm not going to give too much away, but before we go anywhere, let's just go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Amen. Because I don't want to go into his word without going into his presence first. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Father God, that this is the confidence we have in approaching God according to your word, that if we ask anything according to your will, you hear us. And if you hear us, we know we shall have the things that we ask for. So, God, I'm thankful that you hear us tonight, God, but don't just hear us. You're prepared to meet every need we have according to your riches and glory. We need you tonight, God. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that your presence is already in this place, God, that we have not gathered here in vain, that we've come to gather in the presence of the Most High God. I pray that every word would be fruitful that every heart would be open and ready to receive, Lord God, that we wouldn't gather in vain tonight, Lord God, but that when we leave, we can say it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your word and the privilege and the freedom we have, Father God, to read your word and speak your word. There's coming a day we might not have that freedom, so help us tonight to make the most of this opportunity we have to just receive your word with gladness, Lord God, and hide it in the soil of our hearts. We give the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, Amen. As you might have already determined, the title of my message this evening is, Hello, my name is Do-Gooder. In today's society, when you hear that name, it usually denotes maybe a goody two-shoes or a, a brown noser or a teacher's pet or... Some other kind of thought would run through your mind when you read that. It's usually used as a disparaging remark and not a compliment toward an individual who might be considered naive. Maybe they're well-intentioned, but they're seemingly out of touch with the realities of life. That might be what a, a do-gooder is considered to me to be. Their views and their, their ways seem to be contrary with today's norm and their Um, not part of the crowd. They're maybe not fun. And because of those things, they don't just seem to fit in. They're do-gooders that a lot of people don't want around. But as out of touch as society seems to believe do-gooders are today, church, as teased as they might be or ridiculed as they might be or disparaged as they might be concerning their views of life, Paul says very clearly in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. He said this to the Galatian church, and he said it to the whole household of faith, including you and me. He said, don't stop being a do-gooder. And that's really where I'm going with this message tonight. This passage in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is really saying, don't ever stop doing the right thing. Because it's the only thing and the only person keeping society from devolving into complete anarchy. 
I want you to understand that the do-gooders of society, the do-gooders that I'm talking about and the do-gooders Jesus is talking about in Galatians chapter 9 are the only individuals keeping society from devolving into complete chaos, complete confusion, and complete darkness. So whether or not you were wondering whether this was a good tag or a bad tag, by the end of my sermon, I hope you will be willing to proudly wear the title do-gooder. Because that's the call God has placed upon every single one of our lives. It's why over 200 years ago, a man by the name of Edmund Burke wrote this saying that you all know. The only thing needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. You see, the only thing needed for evil to prevail in our society, the only thing needed for evil win is for do-gooders to to do absolutely nothing. It's for do-gooders, it's for Christians, it's for the, the household of faith to sit back and wait for someone else to rise up and act. Wait for someone else to rise up and do good. Wait for someone else to rise up and say the right thing and do the right thing and be the right thing. But I want you to know clearly tonight that God has called you to be a do-gooder. God has called me to be a do-gooder. He has called the household of faith and every individual that dares to call themselves a Christian, He is calling them to be a do-gooder. Please listen to me tonight. If you call yourself a Christian, you better call yourself a do-gooder. And if you're not doing good, don't call yourself a Christian. If you're not speaking good and doing good and being good, please don't call yourself a Christian because a Christian, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is someone who is like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was the biggest do-gooder of them all. Amen. And this is what God has called us to be. The reality is, it's exactly why 2,000 years ago Paul wrote these words, Do not grow weary in well-doing. Do not grow weary of being a do-gooder, because the reality is, if we aren't the do-gooders of life, no one else will be. If the sons and daughters of the Most High God aren't do-gooders, no one else will be. If, if, if the redeemed of the Lord aren't willing to rise up and say so, no one else is going to rise up and say so. I want you to understand that the household of faith are not the individuals that are willing to rise up and wear this badge and let the world know there's a thing called good and a thing called evil and a thing called right and a thing called wrong. No one else is going to rise up and do it and evil will prevail. I want you to understand the only thing that the devil needs to win is for you and I to do nothing. You and I to say nothing and you and I to be nothing. You see, the reality is we've been called to be a do-gooder. Not just say I'm a do-gooder, but to be one. And this is exactly where I'm going tonight to create a clear understanding that the Holy Spirit has called us to be a do-gooder. So listen, no matter how naive it might seem or how contrary to the culture it might be, the Bible still clearly calls us to not grow weary in doing good. And that's what I want to look at tonight. Our call to be do-gooders in the midst of a no-good world. How many of you know we're living in a no-good world? How many of you know we're living in a world that's filled with chaos and corruption and evil and wickedness and unrighteousness? And we as children of the God, children of the Most High, are the only ones that He can count on to do good. So here's what I need you to just understand as we go through this night, that this is a call God has placed upon every one of our lives. I hope you understand, like I said just a moment ago, Jesus himself was the biggest do-gooder of them all. 
And we've been called to be just like Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it tells us that Jesus went about doing good everywhere. Everywhere that Jesus went, he did good. Everywhere Jesus went, he had something good to say. Everywhere Jesus went, he had he was doing something good and being something good. He was a representation of heaven everywhere Jesus went. He was the biggest do-gooder of them all. And it's why he hung they hung him on a cross. Please understand me. When you wear this badge, people aren't going to like you. When you wear this name tag, people are going to ridicule you. People are going to want to put you up on a cross and, and, and crucify your message just like they did Jesus. But the reality is, in the midst of it all, Jesus has still called you to be a do-gooder because he was the biggest do-gooder of them all. Jesus was a good influence on a bad world, and we've been called to do the same exact thing. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we were created for good works. If you wonder what you were created for, it's real easy right there. Three words for good works, for good works. That's why you and I were created. It's why you and I were designed and it's what our destiny should be based on God desires for us to do good works. Listen, God didn't create you to be popular. God didn't create you to, 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 to be a bigwig. God didn't create you to become a millionaire. Now, he may allow you to become one. He, he didn't create you so that you could attain some position of power or prestige. God created you so that you might be a do-gooder in a no-good world. He created you to be a do-gooder and do good things in the midst of a world that is set and bent on doing bad things, wicked things, and evil things. He's called us to set ourselves apart. And the only thing that makes you different from the world world is the good that you do. It's the only thing that makes you look like Jesus Christ and less like the world is by doing good everywhere that you go. I've talked about it before. D.L. Moody, he was he spoke good, did good. He was a representation of Christ in the common places of society. And that's what do-gooders do. Everywhere they go, they're doing good for the kingdom of God. They're, they're a representation of the Father and of Jesus Christ. And wherever they find themselves, in whatever, whatever season they might find themselves, guess what? They're doing good. They're bearing fruit. They're doing something for the kingdom of God. But what we have to learn, church, we have to learn to do good when it's hard to do good. We have to learn to do good when it's difficult to do good, when we don't feel like doing good, when the pressure to do bad, the pressure to do evil, the pressure to quit and give up is all around us. We have to continue to do good. It's exactly what Jesus did. And we have to do the same exact thing. The book of Titus tells us that we are to maintain good works. It means that it means that I'm not supposed to do good works today and then tomorrow forget about it. It doesn't mean that I'm supposed to have a, a, a good week of doing uh, good deeds and speaking good words and, and being a good Christian. And then a week for the next week, I don't have to. You see, he said, I want you to maintain good works. Paul wrote these words to Titus because he understood that Titus was going to face times in his life where he might not feel like doing the right thing. Where the devil and the enemy and, and persecution would come against him so much for being a, good, a do-gooder that he might want to throw in the towel and give up on God and give up on his faith and give up on the title do-gooder. He understood that. So he told Paul, I want, he told, Paul told Titus, I want you to maintain good works. Whether you're in the middle of heart, hell or heartache, whether you're in the middle of persecution, whether you're in the middle of, uh, of, of heartache and headache, I want you to maintain good works. I, 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 want, I want your do-gooding activities and your do-gooding spirit to be constant in your life. You see, but that's one of the problems that we all have when difficulty comes into our life. 
When heartache comes into our life, when temptation comes into our life, when all sorts of the things of this world come pressing in around us, we have the tendency to stop doing good. We have the tendency to stop praying. We have the tendency to stop reading. We have the tendency to stop worshiping. We have the tendency to stop being patient and stop being kind and stop being loving and stop being tender-hearted and meek and humble. We have the tendency to stop doing those things. But Jesus said, the Word of God says, Do not grow weary in well-doing and doing good. Don't get tired of being a do-gooder because you will reap a reward. You will reap a blessing. You will reap the promises of heaven if you just don't give up. And the problem is we all give up too easy. We give up too often. We find ourselves alone and frustrated and no one to be able to turn to. And instead of turning to God, we give up and we quit. But Jesus is trying to encourage us like he was to Titus. Maintain good works. He was saying to one of his protégés, I want you to be a constant do-gooder in a no-good society. Listen, society hasn't changed at all. Evil has been in this world from day one. Since the day the devil squirmed his way as a serpent into the garden of creation and the garden of God, evil has been part of our society. And the sad reality is Adam and Eve didn't do good. And guess what? Where it's put us in the middle of hell. That's where we are. We're experiencing sin and heartache and headache because they didn't do good when they needed to do good. Understand that. Remember when Cain, when God spoke to Cain when, when he had some evil going on in his heart. He said, Cain, I want you to do the right thing. If you do the right thing, will I not accept you? But if you do the wrong thing, if you allow the meditation and the evil that's going on in your heart to get the best of you, guess what? Sin is crouching at the door and he's just waiting for you to do the wrong thing so he can control you and have you. That's what sin wants. It's standing at the door waiting for you to do the wrong thing. Say the wrong word. Look at the wrong thing. Go to the wrong place. Uh, Ingest the wrong thing. You understand what I'm saying? The devil is waiting for you to do the wrong thing. And the Bible says when you do it, he'll control you. Why do you think we have addicts? And I'm not saying that as a disparaging remark. Why I'm saying it is because at some moment, at some point, they didn't do the right thing. They didn't do the good thing. They opened the door to the enemy, and the enemy came in, and now the enemy controls them. Do the right thing. Don't grow weary in the face of whatever obstacle comes your way, and be a do-gooder. Not one that's overcome. Please understand the depths of what Jesus is saying. If you recall my last sermon... It's when Jesus said, in his own words, in this world, you will have trouble. He said, in this world, you will have adversity. Because in this world, if you remember, you have a sorrow. You have an adversary that's out to get you. You have an adversary that wants you to give up. You have an adversary that wants you to quit. But the question is, what does the enemy want you to quit? What is, what is it that the enemy wants you to give up on or turn your back on? What is it that the devil wants you to grow weary of? Well, according to Galatians 9, it's real simple. The devil wants you to give up on doing good. It's that simple. He wants you to give up on doing good because, again, please listen to me. The only thing needed for evil to prevail in your life and in society is for good men to do nothing, for do-gooders to do absolutely nothing. It's all that's needed. But he is saying, that's what the devil wants you to give up on. He wants you to give up on doing good in your marriage. 
doing the right thing in your marriage and relationships. He, he wants you to give up on doing the right things in your family, a, a, amongst your children. He wants you to give up on doing the right thing and the good thing at your workplace or in your neighborhood or in society as a whole. He wants you to stop doing the right thing. He just wants you to give up and quit. He wants you to stop having a, a positive influence on a negative world. He wants you to stop having a positive influence on your children. or uh, He wants you to stop having a positive influence on your marriage. He wants you to give up and quit and give in so that the devil can come in and take control. That's exactly how it operates. But as long as you and I are not willing to, uh, I mean, willing to not grow weary, as long as you and I are willing to fight the fight, willing to run the race, willing to just keep on going when the road gets rough, listen, we will reap a harvest, the Bible says, if we don't give up. But if we're not willing, if we allow the weight of the world to cause us to quit, guess who wins? Guess who prevails? Guess who prevails in your marriage? Guess who prevails in your children? Guess who prevails in your own personal life? Guess who prevails in your ministry? Please understand, your household isn't the only place where the devil wants to win. He wants to win up here behind the pulpit, too. He wants to win in pastors' lives. He wants to win behind the pew. And he wants to win behind the pulpit. All of us are open for the devil's attack. And he wants every single one of us to quit. Because when we quit, he wins. But he's saying, and it's why Paul said, because he knew he was fighting for the kingdom of God. He knew that he was fighting for something eternal. He knew that he was fighting for something that was more important than anything else on earth. He was fighting for the kingdom of God. And the only way that he knew he could win and overcome the enemy is if he didn't give up. If he didn't quit, if he ran the race, it's why he was able to say, when he finally finished, I have run the race. I have fought the fight. I have finished. I've gone to the end. You know as well as I do, he's, he, went through, he went through more than any of us, most of us combined would ever go through. But he endured. He hung in there till the end, church. So the reality is, please keep in mind, the devil will do all that he can to keep you from doing good. He'll do all that he can to keep you from having a positive influence on this world, church. Because if we stop doing good, if we grow weary in well-doing, it's all he needs to prevail. It's exactly why Paul said in Romans 12:21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's that simple. We complicate it. But he said, do not be overcome by evil. He was saying, do not be vanquished by evil, subdued by evil. He was saying, don't be overtaken by evil or by the culture or the crookedness of this world. He was saying, no matter where you find yourself or whatever situation you're going through, don't allow your Christian principles or perspectives or priorities to be abandoned. Don't allow your, your meek, gentle spirit, your, your mild manner, your, your peace, your patience, your, your long suffering, your gentleness. Don't allow those things, church, to be disturbed or disrupted by the enemy, by the attack of the enemy, by the schemes of the enemy. Don't, don't allow those things to be altered by opposition or by the, the things of life that might come against you, church. Paul was saying, I want you to maintain your Christian principles in the midst of any and all opposition that comes your way. In the midst of any heartache, in the midst of any headache, in the midst of any fiery furnace, in the midst of any lion's den, I don't want you to be overtaken or vanquished by evil, but I rather want you to overcome evil with good and show the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the kingdom of God as you do. As you do, church. 
Here's what here's really what he's saying. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by saying something good, by doing something good, by being something good. You see, there's times in your life where evil will come against you. And the only thing you need to do is say the right thing. So all you got to do is overcome evil is say the right thing. There's some times when the devil will come into your life or opposition comes into your life. And the only thing you've got to do is do the right thing. Doing the right thing might be walking away. Doing the right thing might be picking up the phone. Doing the right thing might be going to see the pastor. Doing the right thing might be saying, I'm sorry. Doing the, you understand? There's some times in your life to overcome evil, you have to do something, church. You might find yourself in a place sometimes where the only thing, where God's expecting you to be something good. Be something good. Say something good. Do something good. That's how you overcome evil. If you don't have those three principles active in your life, you will be overcome by evil every single day. There's times you've got to speak up in the midst of evil and say something good and godly. You understand what I'm saying? Gossip comes your way. You can be overtaken by gossip and lose the blessings of God in your life. If you give ear to gossip and you give ear to the phone call of hell itself, there's times you've got to speak up and say something good. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my pastor. That's my church. And I rebuke that evil gossiping spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. There's times you've got to say something good to defeat evil. Oh, oh, tell me that again. Oh, really? Oh, uh, oh, wow. That's evil. That's evil. That's not how you overcome it. That's how you're overcome. And the next thing, guess what? You're the one doing that. Somebody will be on the phone tearing you down, chewing you up, spitting you out. Because you gave yourself to gossip. Understand what I'm saying. That's what being good and doing, being a do-gooder is all about. It's not an easy thing. It's not a popular thing. But it's the very thing Paul said we must be if we want to be like Jesus Christ. It's the very thing we must be if we want to reap a harvest and reap a blessing in our life. Let us not become weary in doing good, Paul said. The word weary, Paul uses, is translated from the Greek, and it means to fail in heart. It has nothing to do with our physical stamina. It has nothing to do with our physical strength. When he talks about not growing weary, he's talking about the spiritual condition of our heart. He's talking about a spiritual stamina that has the ability to march through hell itself. A spiritual stamina that has the ability to overcome a third of the heavenly host that rebelled against heaven itself and is now attacking you and me. He's talking about a physical stamina that's able to get through the bad report, that's able to get through the flood, that's able to get through the fiery furnace, that's able to endure in a lion's den, that's able to go through the difficulties of marriage and the trying times of fatherhood or motherhood or family or a failed business or a failed finance. He's talking about the spiritual condition of the heart that won't fail when hell itself rises up against us. That's what he's talking about. A spiritual stamina that will stand there strong. It might be weak. It might be weary. But it won't give up. It won't give in. It won't throw up the towel and say, I quit. 
Listen, I hate talking about myself up here because I never want to be center stage. But I've been there, church, just like you have. I've been in those places where hell itself has knocked at the door, kept me up in the middle of the night. Phone calls that ripped my heart apart. Family situations extended that had the ability... To, to just turn me into nothing, sleepless nights, tears on the pillow, not to build me up. But I'm telling you, I'm saying it because I've been there. And every single time I want to throw that towel, every time I say I'm done with being a good, a do-gooder, I've had enough, God. The Holy Spirit speaks to my soul and says, don't you dare grow weary. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare stop being a force for good in a no good world. That's exactly what he's asking us to do. And it's what he's saying. Don't give up, church. I'm not. Look, I, I want to hide behind the cross every time I'm up here. And that's probably the first time you've heard me talk about myself in a long period of time. I only said it to let you know I've been there. I've been there just like you have been. Some of you might be there right now. And you cannot give up. Don't grow weary because there's a harvest waiting for you to enjoy. There's a first ripe crop that's waiting for you to pick. Clusters, one grape big enough that has to be carried by two people. Like they did in the promised land. God has a promise for you that big. But you're not going to receive it if you give up and quit. You're not going to receive it if you bow down to the bad report that says, Oh no, we can't go take that promise. And that whole generation that listened to the bad news instead of the good word, they listened to the bad word instead of the good word, they listened to the good-for-nothings instead of the two do-gooders that said, Let's go take the land. And everyone that listened to the no-gooders, and they never got their promise. They died in the wilderness. But the one that said, oh, I'm willing to do good, God. I'm willing to rise up and take that land because you told me to take it and because I know you'll be there. He's the one that God spoke to and said, wherever you step your foot, whatever piece of property you want to claim is yours, all you got to do is step there and I'll give it to you. Why? Because he was a do-gooder. Because he didn't grow weary in well-doing. They wandered. Please remember that. They wandered for 40 years in a wilderness they never wanted. Joshua and Caleb, for 40 years, could have grumbled and complained. For 40 years, they could have said, well, if those all good-for-nothings would have blah, 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 blah. For 40 years, they were faithful to Moses. For 40 years, they were faithful to God. For 40 years, as they suffered the heartache and the headache of a wilderness, they did not grow weary, and they received their promise, church. That's the kind of promise God wants to give you, but you're not going to get it if you grow weary and give up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He is saying in the midst of it all, in the midst of all of the struggles and the troubles of life like I talked about last week, in the midst of the headaches and the heartaches of life, excuse me, in the midst of all of the things the devil will use to discourage us, and trust me, he will. If you've never been discouraged, I wonder if you're breathing. If you've never been disheartened, I wonder where you've been. 
I praise God if you've not. But I want you to understand that in the midst of it all, in the midst of all of the things that the devil will use to discourage us, Paul says, Scripture says, heaven says, let us not become weary in well-doing. And the word that I gave you, Paul used, like I said, meant to fail in heart. It was a, it's a spiritual thing. Please remember, Paul was beaten, he was battered, he was bruised, he was flogged, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was, he was abused in every manner that you can think of, he was pressed in on every side, he was surrounded by trouble on numerous occasions, but in the midst of it all, he says, let us not give up. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. Please listen to what he said. Here's a spiritual man of God, and he's saying, he didn't say, hey, don't you give up. He said, let us not give up. He was saying from the pulpit to the pew, we're all in this thing together. From the pulpit to the pew, God has called all of us to be do-gooders in a no-good world. He was admitting and saying, look, I can't do it my own. I need your help. You need my help. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us not stop being do-gooders in a no-good world because if we don't, guess who will prevail? Let us. Please understand, like I'm saying, it's not just up here that the do-gooding has to take place. It is from the pulpit to the pew. And from the pew right back to the pulpit, we all have to be do-gooders for the kingdom of God. Let us not give up. Let us keep being a force for good in this wicked, messed up world, church. In Psalm 137, David reminds us of the mentality that we should not have when he speaks about the captives who were taken into custody. They were brought into an enemy camp and their comfortable conditions of life changed. Their surroundings were altered by their adversary. If you read it in Psalm 137, everything about their life was turned upside down. They were taken by the enemy. Things got rough and the road got tough, church. And, and the Bible says that when they, when they could not take it anymore, they hung up their harps on a willow tree. They were taken into a foreign land, and they were ridiculed there. They were mocked there. They were made fun of there. And they said, now that you're in this hard place, play us a song. Now that you're in this difficult place, see if you can dance. Now that you're in this place where you're under my control, see if you can sing a nice song. They were ridiculed and they were mocked and they were made fun of and they were teased. And the Bible says they gave into it, church, and they hung up their harps on a willow tree and stopped being do-gooders for the kingdom of God. You know as well as I do that they could have sang a song in the middle of their hell. They could have danced a dance in the middle of captivity. They could have done what Paul and Silas did when they were in a prison cell and the prison doors opened and freedom came. But they hung up their harps on a willow tree, they said, and they wallowed in their sorrows. They stopped playing. They stopped singing. They stopped serving. They stopped. They quit. And so often we do the same exact thing. When things don't go our way, when the road gets rough, when the mountain gets too high, when the temperature gets too hot, 
When the wife says the wrong thing, or the husband is being this, or the kids have gotten out of control, we have a tendency to give up and give in. We have a tendency to abdicate all of our responsibilities to be the do-gooder God has called me to be, to, 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 tend, to, to stem the tide or turn the tide in an opposite direction. We've been called to turn that, that, that attack of evil into a victory for us by doing good. But we have a tendency to let it get the best of our flesh. And throw in the towel and quit. To say the right, wrong thing. Do the wrong thing. And be the wrong thing. In the midst of a terrible situation that needs someone to do something good. Please grasp this. The only way a wicked situation turns around is by a do-gooder doing something good in the midst of it. Do you get what I'm saying? Listen. When all of the, the mighty names of individuals in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and the hall of faith, the only way their situations turned around and the only way they overcame evil was because they rose up and did good in the middle of an impossible situation. They rose up and said something good, did something good, or became something good in the middle of a wicked situation. It's the only way any of those horrible situations of our life will turn around, church. But please understand, when I'm talking about the the Jewish people or, or God's people in this situation where they hung up their harps, please grasp this. They didn't throw their harps away. They didn't stomp on their harps. They didn't take their harps and smash them on the ground. They didn't look at their harps and curse at their harps. They simply quit playing them. They simply hung them up on a willow tree. It's where the phrase, why don't you just hang it up and quit, comes from. Anybody ever speak that to you? Why don't you just hang it all up? Why don't you just hang up that marriage? It's been tough enough. Why don't you just hang up that job? That boss has been on you forever and ain't nothing about to change. Why don't you just hang it up on that ministry? It it ain't benefiting you at all. People just taking advantage of you. People just running all over you. Why don't you just hang it up and quit? Why don't you stop praying? Why don't you stop fasting? Why don't you stop singing the song? Why don't you stop worshiping? Why don't you stop tithing? Why don't you stop giving? You know, you've been giving faithfully for weeks and weeks and weeks. Pastor, have been preaching all about tithing. You've tithed until you got no money in the bank. And God ain't done nothing for you. Why don't you just hang it up and quit? It's exactly what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to quit. He wants you to grow weary and well-doing, church. How many of you know, listen, please listen, praying is a good thing. Worship is a good thing. Coming to the house of God is a good thing. Tithing and giving is a good thing. Teaching a class is a good thing. Watching over our children is a good thing. Praying over your son or your daughter, speaking blessings over your wife is a good thing. Being the spiritual leader of your house, man, is a good thing. You understand what I'm saying? And when you and I fail to do the good thing, evil steps in and takes control. And then we whine and complain and blame God because hell is having its way in our household. When we have failed to do what we need to do. Paul said, do not grow weary. Don't give up, church. Please understand, listen, the devil could care less if you smash your harp or not. The devil could care less if you curse at your harp or not. 
The devil could care less if you take that harp and throw it as far away as you can. Because all he cares is, if all he can do is get you to hang it up on a willow tree, I don't care if it's two feet away. As long as you're not playing it, as long as you're not strumming it, as long as you're not holding it, that's all he cares about. And that's where a lot of us are. Well, I didn't throw my faith away. I'm still coming to church. I didn't throw my Bible out. I still got it. You listening to what I'm saying? I didn't burn down my prayer closet. It's still there. I just don't go in it. I just don't open it up. I just don't read it. I just don't play it. I just don't use it. It's hanging up there. And instead of me being a do-gooder, I'm a do-nothing. I'm a do-nothinger. And I wonder why all hell is breaking loose in my life. Because I'm not doing good. And what it takes, church. This is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I talked about you. How many, or talked about Jesus being the best do-gooder. How many of you know Jesus never hung up his harp on a willow tree? He never quit. He kept on being a do-gooder all the way to his last breath on Golgotha's hill. You know it as well as I do. When he could have cursed, he blessed. When he could have condemned, he offered forgiveness and said, Father, forgive those men that have put me here because they know not what they do. He was the biggest do-gooder of them all. When he could have punished his persecutors, he bore their stripes instead. When he could have rejected us, he accepted us instead, church. Jesus did good all the way to his death. And here's something I want you to understand about the cross of Jesus Christ, because I'm going to start winding this down. I want you to see the difference between the cross of Christ and the willow tree. And what I want you to understand is that the tree that Jesus allowed himself, when I say tree, I'm talking about cross, but the tree that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified on from most studies will tell you that the wood came from an olive tree. The second best guess would have been that it came from an oak tree, but whatever tree it came from, it was made from a tree that brought forth fruit. It was made from a tree that produced. It was made from a tree that brought something of value forth. Now, please get this. If there was ever a tree that brought forth fruit, it was the cross of Jesus Christ. If there was ever a tree that produced something of value in your life, in society's life, in the world's life, it was the cross of Jesus Christ. If there was ever a a tree that was able to bring forth fruit and fruit that would last through all of eternity. It was the cross of Jesus Christ or the tree of Jesus Christ, whereas the willow tree was nothing but a barren tree. The willow tree was considered the most fruitless, useless tree that there was, especially where this tree was planted in the gospel. It brought forth no value. It was barren. It was useless. So please understand, here's my point. When we hang up our harps on a willow tree, we become as barren as the tree itself. When we hang up our harps on a willow tree, we become as fruitless and useless as the willow tree itself. But please get this. When we're willing to bear up the cross of Jesus Christ, you talk about fruit coming from your life. 
There's no greater fruit that can come from your life if you would, instead of hanging up your harp on a willow tree, that you would just pick up the cross of Christ instead and make it through your sadness and carry it through your sorrow and carry it through hell and high water. You talk about a harvest. You talk about fruit and blessing and reward coming into your life. Oh, but that cross is too heavy. You don't know my song. I don't want to know your song. And I'm not saying that facetiously. Because your sad song ain't going to do nothing to change my life. But your happy song, your sing-a-song of the cross of... Do you understand what I'm saying? We cannot afford... In the midst of our struggles and our difficulties, in the midst of that moment when we need a miracle from heaven, we cannot hang up our harps on a willow tree, a barren, fruitless willow tree. We've got to hang our hurts on the cross of Jesus Christ. We've got to hang our marriage difficulties on the cross of Jesus Christ. There's times we've got to hang our kids on the cross of Jesus Christ and say, God, I need a miracle here. I'm not going to hang my harp on a willow tree and blame you for the outcome. I'm going to pick up the cross. I'm going to hang my situation and my circumstance on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when I do, the Bible tells me I will reap a harvest. I will reap a blessing. I will reap an answer to my prayers. I will reap whatever it is I need to have my situation turned around. Listen, when we stop singing, when we stop praying... When we stop trusting and stop serving, when we stop loving and shining, when we stop being patient and gentle and kind and loving and forbearing towards other individuals, when we stop being do-gooders, we actually become good-for-nothing, church. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be good-for-nothing. I, 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 I want to have an effect on the kingdom of God. I want to have a positive effect on the kingdom of God. And the only way that I can do that, if I am willing to not grow weary, if I'm willing to not give up church. So here's one of the questions as I begin to wind this down. The Bible makes it clear we've been put on this earth to do good, to bear fruit and fruit that lasts. So one of the questions the Holy Spirit is asking is, what's your endurance level tonight? What's your endurance level in the midst of a messed up marriage? What's your endurance level with your kids who have gone astray? What's your endurance level with your boss that seems to be hard on your case every single day? What's your endurance level with your spouse or your neighbor or with the devil that seems to be after you at every turn? What's your endurance level with the fiery furnaces of life that seem to have been turned up seven times hotter than they've ever been before? What's your endurance level? You see, the reality is I'm bringing this word tonight because I know that there are some of you, if not many of you, who are facing circumstances that have the potential to cause you to grow weary, have the potential to cause you to throw in the towel, give up on this or give up on that, give up on this person, give up on that person, give up on God, give up on the church, give up on life itself. There's individuals around you every day that are at that point where life's not even worth living, church. There might be somebody in here tonight that's right in that very same spot. 
I'm so burdened. I'm so heavy. I just can't go on. I've grown weary of doing good because I've not seen the results and they're ready to give up church. That's why I'm bringing this message because I know there's a lot of us in this place where we're at the point where we say, God, I've prayed all I can pray. I've ran all that I can ran. I fought all that I can fight. I've been patient all that I can be patient. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm worn. I can't do it anymore. And we want to give up church, give up on whatever area of life that we just can't seem to handle. But please listen to me. Whatever you might be facing tonight in life, God is saying now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to give up or throw in the towel because he said, for in due season, you will reap a harvest. If you do not quit, I'm going to I'm going to close the service a little different than I normally do, because I'm going to allow just a moment for prayer. And I'm going to ask that the prayer team come forward, because here's how I'm closing this evening. If you're on the prayer altar team, I want you to come forward and be prepared to pray with some people for a moment. Do not grow weary in well doing for in due season, you will reap a harvest if you do not quit. And so. I'm doing this tonight because some of you might be at that quitting point. There might, and I don't care if it's one person. I mean, I'm just obeying the word of the Lord. But you're at a point where there's something in your life where you want to quit. How many of you want to reap a harvest? If you want to reap any kind of harvest in your night, here's what I'm going to do first. I want you to stand to your feet. If you want to reap a harvest from heaven, I want you to stand to your feet, church. But if you're here tonight and you're weak, if you're here tonight and you're weary... If you're here tonight and you are at the edge of giving up or giving in, I want to provide an opportunity for you to just come forward this evening, not to be ridiculed, not to be laughed at, not to be made a spectacle of, but for you to be strengthened in the Lord so you can make it another day and make it another week. So here's what I'm asking tonight. If you need rest from anything, rest from sickness, sadness, sorrow, rest from heartache and hurt, if you're weak, if you're weary, if you need to be strengthened in any area of your life, I just want to ask you to come forward and we're going to pray for you this evening. I make it quick, short. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to bug. But if there's an area of your life that God has been speaking to and you know you need to be strengthened, I don't care who you are, what your role might be in the church. I just want you to come forward because I want you to be prayed for tonight. We're just going to pray. I'm going to pray out loud, but just come because this is a moment, church. And those that are there, just pray for these individuals. If there's a need in your life, you continue to pray. I want these people to find freedom and I want them to be strengthened. Amen.